Carl, there is a strangeness to the gospel. I think often we think of the gospel as something like a lifeguard analogy. We're out swimming in the ocean, and we get in a bit of trouble, and, uh, and we're, before we know it, we're drowning. And so Jesus is like a lifeguard who comes jumping out like David Hasselhoff running down the beach and, you know, from Baywatch swimming out. Or maybe now he's the rock, kind of the updated one. And he gets out to us in the ocean, and he pulls out the buoy and puts us over and kind of carries us safely back to shore. Only as Robert Farrar Capone, the author, observes, that is not the gospel. The gospel is something more like we're out swimming, drowning, and Jesus, as the lifeguard, comes out and swims out to us, and he takes hold of us and wraps his arms around us and descends and drowns with us. In the gospel, the lifeguard dies. You die. We die. Everyone, the people on the beach watching, everyone dies. <laughs> It's a strange victory, right? And yet, because he dies with us, we are able to be raised with him. The cross is a strange victory. We tend to think of a Good Friday as the defeat and Easter as the victory, but the gospel actually depicts Good Friday as the victory and Easter as the vindication. I want to look tonight at how is the cross a victory? How is the cross a victory? How is the drowning of the lifeguard helpful? Why is Good Friday good? Because we find in the gospel that the drowning is the rescue. Right? As Jesus, like that lifeguard, as his lungs fill with water, as the whip lashes his back, as the nails pierce his hands, as his final breath exhales and he descends down into the depths, the darkness of the tomb, this is the victory. How in the world can that be a victory? Well, I think it depends on what your goal is. If the goal is to not die, then no, the cross is a defeat. But if Jesus' goal is to atone for the sin of the world, is to reconcile humanity, is to disarm the powers of evil that destroy and to restore creation to God, then this is the victory. Colossians 1.27 tells us that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ in order to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the king who he brings peace to the war that we've waged on heaven. And this is the place where his victory is established. All right, well, I want to look at this from two angles tonight for us to reflect on Christ's sacrifice tonight from two angles. And the first is to recognize that the cross is Jesus's victory. The cross is Jesus's victory. Uh, the cross is the climax of Jesus' mission. In John 10, he says, Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is an active agent at the cross, not a hapless victim. He goes actively towards the cross. Jesus is a lion, and the cross is his prey. We read in Luke's gospel that leading up to this time, that Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And then like an arrow streaming towards its target, 
he made his way towards his death. Jesus is constantly saying things like the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and killed. And his disciples are like, no, Jesus, you got it wrong. May it never be. Because we tend to see the cross as the detour, but Jesus sees it as the destination. So Jesus raises the mast and goes sailing into the storm to take on sin, death, and hell. Jesus is a jaguar out to devour death, which means the cross not only happens to Jesus, but in an important sense, Jesus also happens to the cross. Well, we also see uh, that the cross is depicted as an enthronement scene. So Jesus says in John 12, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And that phrase lifted up in John's gospel, it is uh, an allusion to the crucifixion. This is the moment where Christ is lifted up. So Christ's crucifixion becomes the place, it is the beginning of his exaltation, where he is raised up from the earth like a magnet to draw all to himself, and this is where the king of the earth is beheld in the glorious splendor of his love for a lost and broken and fallen humanity. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they pay attention to key details such as the title placed over Jesus' head on the cross, the king of the Jews, and of the royal robe that is draped around him in mockery, and of the um, crown of thorns that is placed upon his head. The crucifixion is depicted as an enthronement ceremony because this is how God became king. Well, how, why? It's because this is the place where the king is most intimately united with us as his people. This is where he bears our exile and death, where he takes upon himself our distance from the presence of God in order to be bound in union with us in the fullness of our condition. So from one angle, we find that the cross is the place where Jesus bears our distance from the presence of God upon himself in his humanity. And yet simultaneously, Jesus bears the presence of the Father within himself into our distance in his divinity. You can think about, like, you know, a mugger and a physician. They could both kind of perform the same action. They can both slice or cut you, but for two very different motives or reasons. So a mugger, uh, maybe they they will slice and cut open your arm, but their goal is to tear you down and to take something from you. Whereas the physician might perform the very same action to slice their arm, but the goal is actually to heal and restore you. And so at the cross, you and I are like the muggers who are uh, tearing down Christ, who are slicing Christ, so to speak. And yet our goal as those muggers is ultimately to tear him down and to establish our distance from God. And yet we find that in the very same action, God is also sovereignly involved, and yet with a different motive. God is sovereignly involved as the great physician, stitching and knitting and uniting together the humanity of Christ with us in the fullness of our condition in order that we might be raised with him. This is the place, the drowning is where he joins us in the depths below. And because he dies with us, we are able to be raised with him. So one question I would have for us tonight is where do you feel like you're drowning? Where do you feel like you're drowning? 
those areas of life where it feels like the waves of life are crashing around you. Maybe it feels suffocating and like you just don't know how much longer you can hang on. I know recently, just this last few weeks, I've had a variety of friends, both in our church and beyond, struggling with mental health issues that have just exploded out of nowhere with surviving a suicide attempt or being served divorce papers, with uh, a tragic death, with chronic pain. And these are just some of the more extreme examples. Where do you feel like you're drowning tonight? Where the waves crashing around you just feel too overwhelming and you don't know how much longer you can hang on. Because the good news of Good Friday, the good news of tonight is that the king is with you. That the king has come to die with you, to be present with you and with us, to actually enter into the fullness of our condition of where we're at, to actually grab hold of us and experience whatever we've entered into, whatever we are in the midst of, and to actually encounter us in the depths below. To find us in the depths and the grave of our condition. It is good news tonight that our king is with us. We don't have a king who stayed off at a distance, but rather one who has pursued us and come to find us in the distant land and to unite himself with us in order that we might be raised with him. Jesus not only dies with us, however, he also dies for us. And this brings me to the second thing I would love for us to reflect on tonight. That is that the cross is not only Jesus' victory, the cross is our defeat. Because you see, you and I, it is not that we just happen to find ourselves out in the ocean. Uh, it is not that we kind of uh, slipped off a boat or, you know, just kind of, whoa, woke up one day, where am I? The reality is if the beach, you know, the beach is like God's kingdom, we have been swimming to try and get away. We have been running after a life on our own, running away from the presence of God, seeking our own autonomy, hoping we might find some little island off the coast where we could just live life on our own. But the reality is God is a God of life. It is in him that life and existence and fullness and all that is found. And so when we run from him, we are on a trajectory that doesn't land. It is a trajectory that lands and leads towards dissolution and death. And so this is the place where we have been striving for distance from God. And yet the cross is the place where God has come to find us in our distance where if our goal has been to find our autonomy from God and our distance from God, the cross is the place where that agenda of ours is defeated because this is the place where God finds us in our distance. I love how Jesus forgives us at the cross. In Luke 23, verse 34, as Jesus is dying, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think about how hard Jesus is impaled, what it takes for him to even lift himself up in order to have the breath in his lungs to be able to voice something. All of these dying words are important and that with one of Jesus's final words here, declarations, he declares forgiveness for us for we know not what we do. And that is extremely powerful, but I'm struck by uh, Fleming Rutledge, a theologian, and her poignant observation, what about those who do know what they do? What about those who do know what they do? 
Because yes, maybe there are the crowds who have just kind of got caught up in the mob mentality of what's happening in the moment here at the cross. But what about Caiaphas, the high priest in his kangaroo court? What about Pilate, who has washed his hands of the blood he has sentenced unjustly to die? What about Judas, who has sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? What about Peter, who has denied him three times, even though he said he would not? The reality is that so often you and I do know what we do. That today the, a, a school shooter knows what they're doing. A terrorist who plants a bomb in a marketplace knows what they're doing. The dad who walks out on his kids knows what he's doing. The spouse who walks away from her husband knows what she's doing. You and I, when we have walked away from God and sought to live life on our own, we have known what we're doing. So as Rutledge asks us to consider, is forgiveness only for those who didn't know, or is it for those of us who do know as well? Well, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, there is a distinction made between unwitting sin and what we call high-handed sin. So we read in Leviticus that unwitting sin, something that was caused on accident, it still might hurt your neighbor or cause destruction or consequences in the community, but there is provision made for those unwitting accidental sins through atonement. The sacrificial system provided for that. Uh, since without the shedding of blood, Hebrews tells us there's no forgiveness of sin, the sense was the consequence was taken on and borne by the animal. And it displayed the, the, the seriousness of sin and its consequences of wounding. And yet, for high-handed sin, Numbers 15 uh, talks about how high-handed sin, sin that's uh, committed with the, the, the intent, deliberate, to harm, that there was no atonement, no provision made. Numbers 15, verse 30 to 31, said the one who committed such high-handed sin would be utterly cut off from the community. His iniquity should be upon him. There's a sense that you couldn't just say, well, hey, I'll do it now and I'll ask for forgiveness later. It's like, no, that kind of intent carries a gravity of seriousness to it. But the power of the cross is that Jesus is a better sacrifice. Jesus is a greater and better sacrifice. Hebrews 9 tells us that uh, Jesus entered the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and cows, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And what this means is that there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is reconciliation for those of us who have known what we're doing, which is me, which is you, which is all of us, Right? In Christ, we discover a God who, in the words of Paul in Romans 4, 5, a God who justifies the ungodly. And I love, uh, again, Rutledge has a powerful comment on this. She says, forgiveness is too weak of a word for what is happening at the cross. Justification is the word. Because what's happening is more than just forgiveness, more than just, hey, I'm not going to punish you for it, more than just, I'm not going to hold you to account. You're not going to have to pay the bill. You're not going to have to restore the house you demolished. You're not going to have to repair my car you crashed. It's, it's more than just forgiveness. I'm not going to cause you to pay the debt. It's actually justification means a setting right. I'm actually going to make you whole, set you right, restore you, not just to not have to deal with the bad stuff, but to be brought into the good stuff. It's more than just not punishment. It's an invitation to enter the kingdom, to be made citizens, to be given the passport and all, uh, all the trimmings to actually come in and enter into the fullness of life with God 
us as people. In Christ, we find a God who justifies the ungodly. Jesus is, I believe, the only person in the world who has founded a religion of the ungodly, right? Like you think about every religion in the world is made for the godly, kind of for those who are polished, who are, uh, w- want to improve or one-up their life to kind of get better. But we find in the gospel, we find a grace that pursues and goes after and comes after the dregs like me. A God who enters into the trenches like you and I. A God who goes after the ungodly to unite with them and to raise them with him. We find at the cross a God who has come for the ungodly, you and I. And this, I believe, raises the question for us tonight of where are you swimming? Not just where are you drowning, but where are you swimming? Where are those areas where you have been fighting for distance from God? Or maybe the areas that you felt like you swam too far offshore for God to actually encounter you and find you. Because the beauty of the gospel means it doesn't matter how much you've got to bring to the table. It doesn't matter how long your rap sheet is, how many people you've hurt, how much you feel like you're just beyond the pale. The cross is big enough. Christ is great enough. The cost he paid, the atonement that he has accomplished, as he stretches out his arms to embrace us and gather us into life with himself as our king. Because the cross is the place where we are defeated as his enemies in order to be embraced as his friends. It's where we're defeated as his enemies in order to be embraced as his friends. Well, the invitation tonight is we're going to sing... We're going to sing and praise Christ our King. We're going to come to the table in communion. And the invitation, I want, us to leave, I want to leave us tonight not so much with something to do as, in some, as rather someone to adore, right? That often uh, when we dig into the word and we'll kind of land with here's an implication or an application or how, how, how we might flesh this out in our lives. But tonight, I was praying about it this week. I, I feel like that's not, that's not the goal in game tonight. The goal is simply worship that we would come, not just the songs we sing, but the posture on our heart, that we would reflect with gratitude and give praise to the greatness of our King. I love the quote, uh, Jeremy Treat says, the cross is at the throne from which the King of the world rules with grace. And similarly, the theologian Michael Horton says, Jesus embraced the cross precisely as a King embraces a scepter. As we come tonight, we come to the cross as a throne for the king of love. It means that this is the place through which the king exercises his sovereign reign to restore and make whole the world. We find at the end of Revelation that the world is restored and at the center of the kingdom is the lamb once slain. So we come tonight to the lamb once slain and I want to invite you to come, to come and be comforted by the king who is with you. Wherever you might feel like you're drowning, where life is overwhelming, where everything's at, come and be comforted tonight by the king who's with you, who's encountered us in the depths of our condition. I want to invite you tonight to come and be defeated 
by the king who died for you, who laid down his life in this upside down fashion when we were guilty as hell, literally, and he came this upside down kingdom ruled by this crucified king. We come to Jesus tonight, come and be defeated by this king who has laid down his life to defeat us as his enemies in order that he might embrace us as his friends. It means however far you've been swimming, however distant you might feel, tonight we come to the God who has come for us. So the invitation tonight is to worship. Again, not so much something to go do as in someone to adore. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold his strange victory. Behold Redemption Church, your crucified king. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you that the cross is your victory, God, that you rule this upside-down kingdom where you have come and you have encountered us in the depths of our condition. God, thank you that you are with us, that you did not stay far off, yet you came and, God, you swam out, you embraced us in the fullness of our condition. God, you have taken whatever we've got to bring, you have entered in with us, God, in the chaos of our world. So I pray tonight for those who may feel like they're, they're suffocating, like they're drowning, like their life is just overwhelming. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of Christ, we ask you to administer to us in the depths of our conditions out of the grace that you've poured out and lavished on us at the cross. And Jesus, we thank you that you not only died with us, but you died for us. That the cross is not only your victory, but is our defeat, God. That our attempts at autonomy and running from you and distance, that you have crossed the distance and you have overcome, God. You have overcome our rebellion and our distance, God. Thank you that you gave your life for us, that you have atoned for our sin. And I pray tonight for any of us who might be swimming, God, who might feel like we are maybe too far away or, man, that our desire is to try and find that little island offshore, God, that island doesn't exist, God. And so, God, I, 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 God, we pray, Lord, Lord we, we thank you that you have encountered us, God, in our distance, Lord. You've given your life for us. So, Jesus, we come to you tonight as the crucified king, as the one who rules from the cross, your life-giving grace. God, we, we worship you. Jesus, we declare your greatness and our gratitude, Lord. And ask God, man, I don't even want to ask, I just want to thank you, Lord. You're so good. We praise you, Jesus, our King. Amen.